Hi, I'm your host, Tom DeSavia. Join me as I interview guests for music and entertainment from around the world about what they're up to right now. Stay tuned, because we're gone in 30 minutes. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Gone in 30 Minutes. Our guest today is the star of stage and screen. Uh, I'd say America's hero, but yeah, we'll, we'll make you America's hero. We'll, we'll get in more on that later. Um, solo performer, artist, writer, producer, songwriter, Ben Hudson. Mr. Hudson, I'm sorry. Can I call you Ben? Whatever you like. Mr. Hudson, I'm going to call you Ben. Uh, Mr. Hudson has worked with everyone from Jay-Z to Duran Duran to Future to John Legend. And we don't, we only have 30 minutes, so I don't have time to read his whole resume. But let's just get into the talk. How are you doing? What are you doing right now, pal? Believe it or not, I'm in the studio. This is kind of my home from home. I am currently of no fixed abode. High-end homeless. Um, you know, I, I, I've been calling LA home for the last five or six years, but I came back for a few months, uh, for family reasons, for Christmas, we had an election here. I needed to be here for a few months and then along comes COVID-19 and I'm here. I've been here for a year. You know, I, I got a temporary cell phone, um, number and I still have it and I now know it. I kind of refused to learn my new phone number for several months because I, I, I'm not staying. I'm going back to L.A. I was at the embassy the day they closed. It felt like a really budget version of a, a Bourne sequel, um, you know, directed by Woody Allen, <laughs> starring, starring Mr. Bean. Um, How long was it that you... I was at the window and he's like, there's no problem with your visa. I just can't give it to you because there's a pandemic happening. And I was like, okay. So I just went home. Um, you know, I cr went across London with my tail between my legs thinking, okay, what do I do? And then, then lockdown struck. So I'm, I'm back to being a Londoner for the for foreseeable, you know, I don't think I knew that part of it. I thought like it, you would, I think I'd thought you'd just went, okay, this is going on. I'm going to go home and stay there for this, but you'd actually just gone home for the holidays. Yeah, I was back for, you know, I'd, I'd probably, it was a year ago. Wow. Yeah, I, you know. I'd, it has been, yeah. We we had some family stuff to take care of, and um, it's my mum's birthday, and it was the general election. And um, although, the re you know, and I, I thought this is such an important election to to kind of, it really counts. I need to be here. Um, and then I got some work, and I had to, fly off somewhere and and do something so you know life's what happens while you make plans right yeah. and you just got to roll with the punches I'd, i've never really made plans and I, I know planning is very fashionable people talk about having goals in the music business and in loads of loads of walks of life people are talking about what are your goals what are your plans how are you going to achieve this i gave up on that a long time ago i think principles beat plans almost every time because the problem is you can have a plan of like, you know, you could be at f 15 years old. I'm going to call this person and ask them out on a date and you could have the whole script written out. But if they don't say what you have on your script, if you're not ready for their response, then you've got to go off script. And at that point, your plan is, is has gone out of the window and you need principles. Um, and I think the same applies going into a, a session for making music or a job interview or whatever it is. 
yeah, I gave up making plans a long time ago. And I think this year is a really good example of how um, being able to maneuver when I'm unexpected things happen is actually much more important than having this great master plan. Wait, how long were you, have you been in LA prior to um, that? Like living for pretty much being a resident. How long were you living out here? Five or six years. What, you're originally from Birmingham. Yeah. Correct. Yes. And so in 97, which seems like a very long time ago. Wow. And, and then, and now where are you right in London? Property? I'm in London. Yeah. I think, you know, I guess I have two homes, really, London and L.A. Right. It's funny. If I could live anywhere else in the world, it'd be London. London is London and New York. Um, look, I prefer London to New York. Me too. Me too. In um, fact, I always say everything I complain about New York, that, oh, it's it's gray. People are on top of each other. It's, you know, it's like everyone's walking and you're always on top. I, I get off the plane in London. I'm like, it's gray. People are walking. Everyone's on top of each other. It's fantastic. Yeah. I feel oh, like yeah. London is is slightly, slightly calmer. Um, there's a little bit more sky, a little bit more space. Um, London is, London's great. And, you know, it has, it has every, doesn't quite have everything i think that new york might win in terms of just being that a little bit more cosmopolitan and perhaps it's more like you know it's the right place to have the united nations it is it's so international but spending so much time in london when i got to new york new york i was like this is kind of like london if it had had one coffee too many on a hangover and you know just a bit sort of aggro the traffic i i don't know I think if I'd moved to New York at 21, I'd feel very differently about it. But I started going to New York, uh, you know, in my very late 20s. And yeah. I think I was like, okay, I get it. I get it. <laughs> do you, do you, you know? find the, the, your, your personal, say, creative process, your muse, whatever you call it, it changes from region to region? A did thousand percent. Yeah? How, yeah. How, how did it change from coming to the U.S.? Like, do you feel yeah. like when you got here? I mean, and where were you? You know, let, let's go back a bit farther, actually, because there's a lot of things I want to talk to you about. You're from Birmingham. Yeah. What's in the water there? I started to look it up. And I'm like, I know a lot of musicians have been from Birmingham. And I'm sorry I'm looking at my phone right now because I, I actually come down. And it's, aside from half of Led Zeppelin, yeah. Uh, yeah, Judas Priest, Steel Pulse, ELO, Christine McVie, GBH, Duran Duran. I mean, it, it's... There's the Streets is an important one. Yeah, there, I mean, there's countless. I was looking at it. it and, of course, in the periphery, peripheral areas, you know, in Coventry, you've got the whole two-tone sound. And they're, they're neighbours. I'm seeing on your wall. They're, they're neighbours. You know, that's like Brooklyn to, to New York. They're right next to each other. So people would have driven from Birmingham to Coventry to, to go to a gig in a pub and driven back the same night and it not even feel like you were leaving the same urban area. And if, if you look at the map of the UK, well, of England specifically in this case, um, you'll see that it's at the center of, if, if you take a bicycle wheel with its spokes or or a, for, for a Los Angelina, the, the spokes of your, the alloy on your Mercedes, um, <laughs> Birmingham's right in the middle of that. And it's not a spider's web. It's very hard to get around, um, you know, Yes, London has the M25, but generally it's kind of hard to get across the UK. But if you, most, you know, all roads lead to Rome, but they go through Birmingham first. And we had the canal network, all the railways went through Birmingham. So 
Um, and now the motorways, as you'd call them, freeways copy that. So Birmingham was really and, and still is a, a kind of central point logistically. Now, what that means before the Internet is that um, for better and for worse, all cultural things went through Birmingham. But also for worse, it means that uh, people like myself, when they can, they leave because they go to London because it's an hour and a half away. But were you acutely aware of where you were from and the the art that surrounded you? What so, was in water? Yeah, I think I think place before the internet. Generally, if you look anywhere, uh, place was probably more important. Mm -hmm. uh, the world is one place now, and the, having to move back to the UK this year hasn't really affected my process. The pandemic has affected my process, right? Um, as it, as it would have done if I was still in Los Angeles, um, but. But now you can you can grow up in Birmingham or, you know, Detroit or wherever, and you can just make whatever music you want to make and you can attach yourself to any scene or multiple scenes or just ignore scenes full stop, ignore genres. But we grew up in the 90s aware of being part of a tapestry of um, rock music, mm -hmm. of reggae in Handsworth particularly, um, and what you were surrounded by, whether it was on your way to school or work, what you heard coming out of people's cars and their, you know, when their bedroom window was open, that, that affected you, you know, um, in a more visceral way than the radio would, cause you can't really relate to radio cause it's from London and there's somebody who doesn't talk like you on the radio and it's all feels a bit glossy and behind the glass right? right but when someone's driving past in a yellow Saab with the windows down playing steel pulse you notice it um you feel it it's more tribal right yes was your family musical when you were a kid yeah so i grew up with three older brothers um two of them quite a bit older which meant that a they weren't around all the time but b when they were um you know they were coming home with records and um, smelling of beer and cigarettes and probably wearing double denim. And they, you know, were going to motorhead shows in the, in the late eighties. And, um, you know, when they were younger, dr trying to dress like Duran Duran, because that's what the girls were into. And then when I ended up working with Duran Duran, you know, 25 years later, and I I'm taking my brothers backstage and introducing them to the band. I think it was quite a trip for them because I'd always been this little rug rat getting under their feet when they were becoming men and then all of a sudden uh, you know I'm, I'm working with Duran Duran and to, to Brummies they're Duran Duran of the Beatles right um well I do know you started as a, a drummer essentially yep. right Was that, so in heavy, playing in heavy metal bands yeah I was going to ask that your our mutual friend Marnie uh added you as playing in many heavy metal bands when you were a kid was that the Judas Priest influence from growing up? Like, what? You know, it was it was a case of if you've got three older brothers who are into heavy metal and, um, you know, they're playing guitars and stuff. And, you know, my dad was, um, as well as a teacher, was a, a qualified electrician. So they would be building, my poor mother, you know, on a Saturday morning, they'd be building a bass amp in the, you know, on in, in the front room, the living room, the good room. Yeah. So all the stuff, my dad's like soldering and there's all these like this, like all these parts out on the 
on the floor in front of the television and um thinking about like positioning speakers my dad was really into acoustics so you know i've got all these i got all these these three older brothers and my dad who are like definitely you only realize it looking back how influential your 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 family really can be so anyway back to the heavy metal yeah i mean it's just it's just the fabric you're in birmingham it's the 90s what what other kind of band are you going to be in right right what's wrong with you how did you slowly like where did the transition come for you when you started to explore musically and then eventually what brought you to the u.s what so that's a good question i'll, I'll try and give you the the digest of the long wikipedia entry um i'm not like a heavy metal person in myself like i enjoyed it because i can enjoy good music from any genre but i'm i'm a i'm a calm soft you know i'm not i'm not that dude i'm not a headbanger right basically because i realized that gr grunge was my get out of jail like i could tell people i could be in a grungy band and it was like that was my stepping stone away from heavy metal so at 13, I'm in a heavy metal band called Universal Justice and then another band called Earthcore. And we're playing like Sepultura covers. And I was just happy to play. And metal's very challenging for drums and it's very drum. The drums are so important in metal that I was really happy to, to get my chops together playing in those bands. But then I went to grunge and then I went to Britpop. And I'm still a drummer. And But guitars were always around, so I'd, I'd be picking them up. One of the things that I really miss about the culture of rehearsal rooms and shows and sound checks, crucially, is it's actually the little connective bits of tissue that that you don't get. You don't get that whole culture of like having a beer. You know, people used to smoke in rehearsal rooms. Do you know what I mean? It's like mm -hmm. it was a proper hang, and you'd you'd book out a rehearsal room for for a day, or maybe you'd only have it for two hours if you were broke. But it was like it was very heightened time you were almost thought it's like being in a little black box theater it, it was really magic and one of the things i miss is the gaps so somebody goes out to buy some cigarettes and you pick up their guitar and you learn a new chord the other guitarist teaches you a chord and you go back behind the drums i mean my, my brother used to is a funny little thing um he would he'd come back and he'd be like punching me be like you've been playing my guitar and I've been really, really careful putting the guitar back exactly where it was. And uh, he's, he's, he's punching me in the shoulder. You've been playing my guitar. Um, and I'm like, how do you know? He's like, it's in tune. <laughs> so I fell in love with the guitar, mm. sort of learnt by osmosis. And I started learning songs by the Lemonheads. And then I got it. The Lemonheads are so melodic that that kind of, was my get out of like the less melodic grunge. So now I'm in like a melodic mellow place, but it's still rock music. And then Britpop happens and I'm learning songs on the guitar by Oasis and Blur and Radiohead and Suede and all the others, but I'm, I'll name the obvious ones. So, and then I don't know if you ever had this, but I mean, I feel like, you've got just a couple of years on me. And I think like when you were listening to the clash, I wonder whether like, I mean, maybe this happens to everyone. You get to the point where you're like, there's not any more good new music. Maybe because your favorite bands kind of go off the boil or they break up. Right. You know, imagine like the Smiths is your favorite band when yeah. they break up, you'd probably be like, 
the music's died. Right, the music's yeah. died. So what do you do? Before the internet, you go back. You go to the record shop, mm -hmm. and you're like in the bargain bin, getting like a Pink Floyd CD, a David Bowie CD, and a Marvin Gaye CD, three for ten pounds. Yeah. Much better value than the new music, which has been sold for upwards of fifteen pounds. I'm no idiot. Give me. I'm going to go to the guy with the massive beard in the record shop in Birmingham and say, "What are the three best albums in this shop?" Yeah. Or what are the three best albums? You're doing three for 10. What are the three best albums in the three for 10 deal? And he's like, you need to listen. What do you like? I'm like, I like David Bowie. He's like, okay, have you heard low? I'm like, no. He's like, okay, here's low. <laughs> um, he like Marvin Gaye. Okay. You, you, you like uh, the, the Motown stuff. Okay. Here's what's going on. Right. So you like the Beatles. What, what do you like? Have you got any of their albums? No, I just the, the best of. He's like, here's Abbey Road. There you go. Three for a tenner. Now, why am I going to listen to some, I was going to say fag end, that means cigarette here, like the cigarette end of Britpop in 97, when I can go home and listen to Low, What's Going On, you know, Inner Visions, The Queen Is Dead, uh, the list can go on, some Miles Davis, for three for ten pounds? And it's of course, because there's no distraction of streaming or anything, those albums then until I saved up enough money to buy. So until I saved up another tenner, we're on repeat. But then I got two buddies doing the same thing. So we've got nine albums for 30 quid between us. We're listening to Neil Young. We're listening to, you know, Nina Simone. Now, why would I turn on the radio to have something that's being forced that I, I'm like, yeah, this is okay. Like, why am I even going to listen to the radio? At that age, you're like, no, it's going to be right. Yeah, maybe I'll just listen to Nat King Cole and Chet Baker okay. and, uh, you know, the Ink Spots and Eric B and Rakim. Three for a tenner. Um, we did that for years. We went to the same record shop and we all just filled up our collections of, you know, great bands. And we took risks. And you start to, the gatekeepers, you know, a record collection was a thing. Obviously, there were CDs, but it's so easy to forget. I mean, I threw all my CDs away in 2015, and that hurt. Yeah. Well, it's funny. And I got to say, we, this is going, we're going to have to have you on for another episode. We're almost at the end of 30 minutes. But I was going to say, well, I, well, I want to kind of wrap here before we. Let me finish the, the, the Wikipedia yeah. entry. So no, it's finish. now, yeah. I've got into old music and I've learned to play the guitar. I'm mm -hmm. not listening to new music. So I. And I'm learning songs on the guitar. So I'm learning, you know, trying to learn Jeff Buckley songs and Paul Simon songs and and so on. And this would be my tip to anyone who wants to get into songwriting is just go and learn a Joni Mitchell song. Go and whoever your heroes are, if it's James Blake or Kid Cudi, just go and learn their songs and play them and sing them and let them get into your into your body. You you learn 50 songs that are really good. You'll write a good song. Um, and the first five that you write might not be very good, but the sixth probably will be, and the tenth might be great, and you write 100 and you'll probably write a hit record, and you'll have a great time doing it. Um, so basically that's what I did was, uh, at this point I had no ambitions to get into the music business. That was something that other people did. Um, it was just a hobby for us. We just loved it for itself, just to have the instruments in our hands and to play in a pub to 20 people like that was mission accomplished. That's what a lot of people don't, don't realize now we're in this very linear, like 
get famous, blow up, get numbers. It's 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 kind of narrow now. It's it's a question right. of we're all in the same lane, and it's like how fast and how far can you go? But we were chilling at the starting line. We had everything we needed. We had a beer, and we were in a band, and had a couple of t-shirts with band names on. It was tribal. Why did we want to leave what defined us? Um, and that's a, that's a separate topic about like how success can actually take you away from the thing that you that you love and the reason you got into it. And it's really important to know when you've achieved your goals and when to just enjoy them and 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 when to keep working and, and trying to change things. So anyway, zero ambition at this point. I'm in my late teens, just just learning songs on the guitar and occasionally on the piano. And I started writing songs. And then people said, you, you just need to form a band. And I was like, I'm a drummer. And they were like, well, you can sing and you're skinny and you're confident. <laughs> just get out there. So I formed a band and, you know, I'm eight, 18 at this point. And luckily a girl broke my heart. So the songs got good real quick. <laughs> and, um, or I thought they did anyway. And the people around me thought they did. And people started saying, we want to help. So... But again, like I was doing it for itself. There was no agenda. And that's it. It was a hobby. So music was a hobby till I was 25. Can you believe that? Yes. And then at 25, I've been, I'm living in North London, near Camden, legendary Camden, really still the home of rock music in the UK, uh, you know, and I'm living in North London and I'm pulling pints in a pub and I'm on food stamps and I'm happy as a pig in poop. But then I get to 25 and there's an intervention. Friends and family say you're 25. This is getting embarrassing. You know, when you've got this degree, this university degree, when are you going to, when are you going to start living your life? And this is kind of embarrassing. I wasn't embarrassed. They were embarrassed, but there was this intervention. It was a sort of triple header, two brothers and my best friend. And one said, I can get you a job working at this company. And the other said, I think I can get you a job working at this charity. And they do a lot of stuff with music. Perfectly decent suggestions. I was insulted. My best friend was like, you love wine. You, you, you love working in, um, in food and drink. Why don't you become a wine dealer or something like that? I was so sad. So I... Um, I got the train back from Birmingham to London and I realized I've got to prove them wrong. How am I going to do it? Maybe they're right. I'm 25. Maybe I should do something with my life. Um, so I decided, I realized on that train journey back to London, I realized I've been doing the minimum to say I'm a songwriter, to say I'm a musician. So let's say I've been doing 20% of my potential or 10%. Let's find out what happens if I do between 80 and 100% of what I'm capable to do on any given day in any given week. Six months later, we had a Radio 1 truck outside the club where I was putting on a club night. We were performing. DJ Semtex is interviewing me backstage. It's a live broadcast. He offers me a record deal. Every other record company in London pretty much there were a bunch of deals on the table that happened in six months if you if you're prepared to fail that that's the thing i i think deep down i knew i wouldn't 
have any regrets because even if nothing really happened, it would just be an interesting experiment yeah. for six months to a year to basically wake up and turn the computer on. Or at that point, it was a hard disk recorder, like a glorified eight track. I turned that on before the kettle. Right. Make a cup of coffee, make a beat, write a song, get on the piano, um, organize a photo shoot, bleach your hair, um, wear some stupid clothes, shoot a video. We play, and I was like, we're going to play every 10 days until we get a record deal. And we're going to play the same 30 minute set, same six songs every show handing flyers out at clubs, burning CDs, giving them away, selling them, trying to make merch. This is all while being on food stamps. Just getting it did. You have an idea and it doesn't mean hurting anybody. Do it. Just execute it. And I think even though the arena is different now, that principle probably is the same. And when people ask me for advice, I say, with all due respect, you're probably, I can almost assume that you're not doing enough. Um, so broadly speaking, I was 25 years old. I'll wrap up the long Wikipedia entry. No, this has been great. Go, go, go. Yeah, I'm 25 years old. I've got sign a record deal. A year later, we're touring, opening up for Amy Winehouse and then the police. I've suddenly got Dizzy Rascal's phone number. I'm around Sting's playing every breath you take on his Stradivarius double bass. Um, all these mad things are happening. And then we do an album cycle and it weirdly goes quiet. I went to Paris on a songwriting trip. I wrote half a song. It felt like it was all sort of kind of, this was, it was like, it was all sort of imploding. And then I get a phone call from the head of the record company saying, Kanye West wants to produce your next record. How do you feel about it? <laughs> I signed to good music. Broken your mind. Yeah, I mean, you've just got to be open to these things happening, haven't you? So, um, signed to Kanye, nothing happened for six months. I sent him a song called There Will Be Tears. 20 minutes later, he, his manager emailed me. He emailed me and said, fucking awesome. And then his, um, his manager emailed me another 20 minutes later and said, get on the next plane to Hawaii, which I did we were working we started they'd already started i, I joined a, a session generating ideas for the blueprint three for jay-z um i did very little i was there for a week i think i was just in awe of the people involved in the process and i i didn't really contribute anything to the last day i was after breakfast uh mr virgil abloh who um has has since risen to fame in the in the fashion world uh, he and I were having a swim after, well, we weren't swimming. We were just standing. Maybe the water was up to our calves in the, in the beautiful water. And, um, and I was like, bro, this is really embarrassing. Like they've flown me out here and, um, I haven't done anything. I feel, I just feel like, you know, I would have loved to have contributed something to get something on a record or, you know, to help more. And he was like, he's like, well, you still got today, you know, just get up, swing the bat step up to the plate i think were his words actually and that night we did forever young aka young forever um and went to the club and drank a lot of tequila and then i went and got on the plane and turned on my blackberry as he thrown it said get back on the plane big sean wants to has got an idea so i got back on the plane um to la this time you know it just got crazy real quick so I didn't plan for any of that. 
but my well, principles were work hard be enthusiastic it's all about people you know what what i love about your career thus far is and just talking about this we've had a couple of talks in prior is you could hear every one of those records in your work you could hear the ghosts that came before you. You can hear the <laughs> that are so wide, which is, like I said, that's the beautiful thing. When you're a kid, you reach for that stuff and it sticks with you. And it's it's like any tradition. It's traditions you bring from your family or from your ancestors. Some, and, mm. and your music is not able to fall into just one bucket. And that's what I think has been really remarkable about your career. I am... Uh, these conversations go so fast. My producer's going to kill me if we don't do at least two lightning round questions. And I mean, aren't you going to edit this all down to two minutes anyway? Oh, no, but we're having, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. For, we're having you back for part two because we didn't even get to the U.S. years, and that is going to be part two of our conversation. Well, we haven't even got to Duran Duran or Idris Elba or... <laughs> you know, I made an album with Idris Elba in Johannesburg in 2013. This is, I mean, this is what we're getting. They, they, our audience's homework assignment. We're going to put up a playlist for you to listen to, and then we're coming back to talk about what year did you come to the U.S. Then, so the first time I stepped on U.S. soil was Seattle to attend a two-week kind of powwow camp um, of thirty creatives in in music, uh, particularly electronic music from all over the world. So that was a big inspiration to me to feel like. I'm a boy from Birmingham, but maybe I do have access to the world. And I mean, going to Hawaii and working on Blueprint 3 and 808s and Heartbreak, that really popped my cherry in terms of realizing that I'm allowed to, like the world, maybe the world is my oyster. Maybe it's not just right. about London. Well, we're, like I said, we're, I, there's so much, I need to talk to you about your process there. I need to talk to you about, what happened here, but right now my producer's bugging me. We're going into two lightning round questions. What mystery of life do you wish you knew the answer to? Gravity. <laughs> Good one. What's something that's true that almost no one agrees with you on? That we shouldn't eat animals or anything made from animals. We shouldn't use them in the way we do and abuse them. What personality trait has gotten you in the most trouble? Um, willingness to help. What is your most valued material possession? I don't have any. Good answer. Playing live or recording? No, I do. Studio? My 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 late nineties Jaguar XJR V V eight petrol <laughs> engine, which I'm really keen to convert to a Tesla or a Nissan Leaf motor. So it's and to get rid of the leather interior because I don't want to be yeah. driving around on a cow. Well, you have to now after after we have this on on on, uh, on record, Ben. It has been, as always, a joy to talk to you. And I thank you for taking the time and, and night to do it. Ladies and gents, we are gone in 30 minutes. See you in part two. Take care. Lots of love. This show was presented by Craft Recordings. Thanks for joining us for Gone in 30 Minutes, produced by Laura Saez. I'm your host, Tom, and we'll catch you next time. <laughs>